Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, guys, welcome to part three of the Stompcast. Jimmy and I are having a good old wander. We've had a, a really um, interesting conversation so far, and there's so much. In fact, an hour isn't really enough to cover a lot of the things I really want to talk to you about. But in this part, I really would like to take some life lessons that we can kind of go go away from today with, and hopefully, listeners can really benefit from. So, I just I'd like to just reflect a little bit over your life so far, and I guess the things that you've learned along the way, because you've kind of been farmer, you've been uh, author television so you can continue to uh, present on tv what are the kind of big things that you've learned and maybe you can embark for like next generations and people people listening it's really difficult that one because everyone finds their own path but i think one of the most important things i've found is not to live with regret if you're going to do something if you feel like you want to do something if you've got an idea a, a dream is to to try and fulfill that dream it's really important to do that um and also don't overcook the small things. And I suffer from OCD quite a bit and, and, and I, I relieved myself from that by being amongst nature. And the thing about running a farm and nature, it always seems quite chaotic. Mm. You know, the hedgerows seems messy and, and I, you know, the idea of wanting to tidy stuff up, farms are naturally quite messy places, is not to overcook stuff, not to overcook the small problems. Really appreciate being in the now. And I think, you know, you, you only really get a sense of that when you, you lose someone. Like when my dad died or my, my, uh, recently my, my wife's uh, mother died, uh, is that you have someone that was quite big in your life disappears forever. And the idea of going, oh, I wish I spent more time or saying the things I, I should have said or having those conversations. Uh, so, you know, do those things. Are there... Um are there things that have helped with, with grief? And I'm, I'm sorry for the loss of your, uh, your dad and also your mother-in-law as well. It's, grief it's, is very difficult, isn't it? And everyone experiences it differently. But It's difficult. Yeah, it it is difficult. And, and uh, the, the saying of, of grief is that that's the price you pay for love. Yeah, I love that song. Uh, I really the, the, love that it's song. A, it's, a, it's a funny one because when my dad died, you, you feel... I don't know if it's about being a man or whatever, you feel a responsibility to hold yourself together or... Uh, but geese, always noisy. Geese. But it's important to let the grief come out and I, there's like certain songs I would play because I'd almost put them on because I knew it would make me sad. And that wasn't done in a way of being self-indulgent, it was done because you, I, I needed a mechanism to let the grief out. Yeah. And, and there's a great song by Billy Bragg called Tank Park Salute. And it's about a young boy uh, losing his father. And even when he, like, your dad dies, you, you take him back to being that little six-year-old being carried up to bed. doesn't matter if you're a fully grown yeah. man with kids. You're still transported back there. But somehow you can't, you know, I don't know. I couldn't necessarily let the grief out. But having little triggers helps. Because it's like, uh, it's like anything. It's like having a 
a pump or a, a piston or whatever. You've got, got to, to let the, you've got let the pressure out. Because yeah. if you don't, it's going to go somewhere. Well, and eventually the pressure builds up and you, bre you break down, the, the pump yeah. breaks or whatever. Yeah. It, and then, it's great to hear that from from a man, to be honest, because I think well, sometimes I, you know men what? don't I, want I remember, to say that, do they, about grief and I remember it. getting the phone call, we're going to the woods, and I remember getting the phone call from my mum, and she was all hysterical, and, and then she had to pass the phone on to her friend Sue, and said, your dad has passed away, and I got in the car, and I, was, I drove down there, and the paramedic was there, and lovely Sue, Sue Washington was there, my mum's friend, and he said, I'm so terribly sorry, and she gave me a hug, and the paramedic went, I'm, yeah, I'm so sorry. And I said, okay, um, can I make you a cup of tea or anything? Because, and it was, he said, well, I'll make you a cup of tea. And there's a default reaction to, be to the so I could... care almost. Yeah, you know, the, there's a normality or there's a, oh, I'll sort that out. And, da, da, and that's a way of hiding. And maybe it's been British, I don't know, but... Well, I feel, but no, but you've actually raised a very important point there is that we are, we're not the best at grief in this country. And I, and I, I mean, I, I've worked in... I graduated as a doctor in about 2015. Obviously, I'd seen an amount of death as a med student, but working in A&E is part of your life, really, day in, day out. And it sounds not to trivialise it, but it becomes part of it. And one of the things, one of the many things I learned from A&E on a human level is that we have a very odd relationship with grief, where we kind of all pretend it doesn't, or death, that yeah. it doesn't exist. And yeah. yet, it is one of the absolute certainties, that circle of life, that it's going to... It's going to affect all of you. Everyone's going to, to die. And that sounds really, that sounds really yes, none of us are leaving I've alive. got a tattoo on my arm uh, that says Memento Mori, and it's, you know, you two shall die. And I, it sounds very, people have seen that, some clever kids have, who can, can read it, are like, that says you two shall die. That's very negative. I'm like, well, actually, it's not, because the beauty of life is that you know that you're not here forever. Yeah. And you're going to have to, your loved ones are going to have to deal with the fact that you're not here or you pass away, well, and equally you have to deal with loss as well. Maybe that's why I get so much solace in nature and, and farming, is because death's part of it. Yeah. The idea of farming, if I grow crops, I'll cut those crops, I'll kill them yeah. to eat them. I rear the pigs, we'll kill them, turn them into sausages. But right at the beginning of planting the seed or watching the piglet being born, I know the eventuality, mm. that is it. A bit like walking through the woodland here, the bluebells coming up, They'll set the seed, they'll perish. The, the little blue tit chicks fledge, sparrowhawk will eat them. The leaves drop, they rot, become part of the forest floor. And it's all part of nature. And I think somehow that idea of saying going to these great big wilderness open spaces make you feel small, but still being part of something bigger. Well, that's what it's all about, I think. It's something that I find fascinating is that there is, there's clearly a, a sector of people who are kind of anti-farming, anti-meat. Uh, I, I don't know how you can be anti-farming. There are, it's, it's a sector of people crazy. who, it, well, there's a sector that are, I think it's a smaller sector. There's certainly a reasonable amount of people, clearly, uh, veganism, vegetarianism, and who have their beliefs and people, everyone's entitled to their own yeah. beliefs and the way they want to live and so on. But interestingly, there does feel like there are some people that kind of insinuate or suggest that being a farmer you don't care about your animals and the interesting thing is that and I, I I didn't grow up a farming background but farming was around me I lived grew up in the countryside is that actually the farmers really care about yeah 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 I mean and I get all the whole thing is like um oh you know how, how, can, you how can you have camels and pigs but kill the pigs or how can you have a dog but you kill that it's like well you know if I lived in a culture where I had dogs or camels that'd be that'd be fair game as well but the idea of of not caring is crazy. And I think the, the people that are anti-farming are anti-human population. 
because I find that so ridiculous, anti-farming. Well, the, the argument that some people have is like farming, because there, there seems to, this is where the mess has become, is that people are, some people believe that the farming is relating or causing the climate issues and so on, and you hear the facts, you know, which are there, and cattle, oh, don't and methane, get, don't and get so me wrong. On don't get me wrong. Whatever we do, mm. whatever we do in terms of producing our food will have an effect. Yeah. So if I'm growing a field of wheat, there'll be nature has to be displaced because you're growing food uh, and then i think we've gone down a route where you know a huge mechanization and industrialization of agriculture has caused major problems mm. but we're all part of that because we're all part of it three times a day because we all eat food so that you know how we choose to grow our food depends on how we spend the money in our pocket mm. and it's down to us but farmers in no way want to destroy the world because it's part of their livelihood, mm. you know, uh, but, but saying that there's certain constraints when it comes to keeping your head above water. If you want your cabbage at 50p, you know, uh, there's certain things that got to give, but if you, if you're prepared to pay a pound 50 for your cabbage, but you, you want it grown organically that, you know, it's, 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 horses it's difficult. Horses. It's a, such a difficult thing, isn't it? Because on one hand, clearly there are those who are privileged who can have the privilege to say, I'm happy to spend an extra pound. And the others at the moment with the food crisis, the energy crisis, yeah. who can't afford it. And I'm not, I'm doing this very much trying to look at the whole sure. picture. So I guess as a human, as a population, what, what do you think is the answer in terms of basically we need to feed lots of people well, there, so there, and we need to look after the planet? There's a really odd really. paradigm here, right? Because in my pocket is a mobile phone that's worth about 800 quid. Yeah. And loads of people have mobile phones, right? And we all have Sky subscriptions or we have Netflix or blah, 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 whatever. But so I'm prepared to pay 12 quid for a free range chicken mm. that's mm. going to feed six. Mm. Sure, sure. You know, it, it's, what we, it's how we value that food. You know, uh, what, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 25% of your income went on food, less than 9% now. You know, it'd take you a month's way to pay your turkey. I think it's about an hour now to buy your turkey. So, and, and equally, what are we, nearly 8 billion people on the planet? Mm. We produce enough food to feed nearly 10 billion. Yeah. There's more obese people in the world than are malnourished. And of that food, we throw away a third of it. Mm. So we're producing quite a lot of food. Well, interestingly, obesity is actually, depending on the scenario, but obesity is a form of malnourishment because actually yeah. you're, you get, you're getting yeah, lots of calories, calories but you don't get all the right stuff. Yeah, so. completely. And then also when you look at agriculture, half the world is fed by small farms. Mm. So half the world, small little farms, yeah. little subsistence growers or whatever it is, yeah. not big ag. But equally, when I went to the States and looked at GM crops and the arguments ago, it's going to feed, it's going to help feed the starving. It's going to, really? The thing about starving people, they're poor. They're not going to pay Monsanto and all these big ag companies for the new seed varieties technology. It's about Western rich farmers producing more food for an increasingly obese population. Mm. Uh, but, but when it, and it's an I, interesting but, perspective, isn't well, it? Well, but equally, really we mustn't throw the baby out the bathwater yeah. because Without, if you look at our farmers here in the UK, without our farmers here in the UK, and we've seen the crisis in Ukraine, this is the linchpin. The, the agriculture is the cornerstone of civilization. Yeah. We couldn't exist in the population we are at the moment without organized agriculture. Yeah. But we have to choose, particularly now after Brexit, we have to really think about what we want our landscape to look like and what we're prepared mm. to pay for it. Mm.
absolutely. I mean, look, you've you've highlighted it with your documentaries and your books as well. Thinking about how, thinking about that kind of chain, I guess. And and interestingly, it's kind of blown up again because Clarkson Farms been on. And I think there was a scene where they were sat around. And you had you had a pig farm, and you had all these different people from different backgrounds, and basically saying they can't survive at all they can't make any money out of what they what they have and a lot of people interesting i saw on social media going what they what the farmers don't have any money i mean yeah what they what they have to not take a wage you know yeah where where are we at i guess more often than not and 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 agriculture i look at a lot of the farmers around here a lot of my friends they might have 500 acres a thousand acres Mm. big combine harvester and all that kind of stuff more often than not they're maintaining their assets they're living through the business but they're maintaining the asset, which is their land. The farm isn't that profitable. Sometimes it can be, sometimes not. Depends on the weather, depends on the cost of inputs, uh, labor, all the rest of it. But farmers really don't make a lot of money. They might be asset rich sometimes if they, if they own their farm, but they don't make huge amounts of so money. So if you go back to what we were talking about at the start of this part was about farmers caring about their livestock and farm. You have to, if you didn't care, I don't want to make a sweeping statement from a position I, I don't understand, but it sounds like if you didn't care, you wouldn't really, would you do it in a lot of cases? Yeah, absolutely. You mean? You've got to care about it, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You've got to love it, it's got to be your passion as well. But you know, there, 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 there needs to be a sea change of, of how our food system works. And I, I think that you look at the, the large supermarkets and how they often treat farmers a bit like drug addicts, coax them to invest more, uh, you know, just supply them, not getting the return of it. Where else are you going to go? If you don't give it at this price, well, we'll get it somewhere that, else. Is it true that supermarkets dictate a lot of the time the price, not the other way around? Because I hear that the, for milk farmers, for example, if the supermarket say, well, this is what we're willing to pay, you either do that or you've got all this milk, that, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, completely. I, I'd love to say it's not. And, and often the, the picture's painted differently, but, but the, all the farm, you know, I go to about 30, 40 farms a year around the country. Um, there's some farmers that are on, when it comes to milk are on, on some good schemes, but for a lot, they're, they're treated like junkies, just given enough. It just doesn't sound fair, does it? Not really, not seeing as milk production is the most efficient way of producing protein per acre, mm. and it's full of all the good stuff. Um, and uh, you know, and and it could be a wonderful industry, but you know, it becomes so confusing, doesn't it? Because on one hand, you know, in certain parts of the country, it's become very popular, say, to have milk alternatives, and people don't want to have milk. And sometimes it feels like milk is even demonised, and it's kind of like this bad thing that we shouldn't be drinking. Like, why aren't you drinking oat milk and so on? How do you know, with all these kind of different messaging and all these? different stories how do you know what the truth is because it is heart confusing especially a young person it's, so it's really it's What's really difficult i did a story on it once i did a story on it once we went to this uh, school in london mm. uh, i was going to take it to a rare breed yeah, we, we, can, we can wander down oh some pigs here look, come on yeah, um, and I, I went to the school in london <laughs> and i said who drinks milk out of 15 20 kids two three hands went up i was like, oh right so why don't you drink milk to these kids and it's like um yeah the cows get raped what uh, it's full of chemicals. It's uh, the calves are getting murdered. Oh, really? Okay. Hands up who drinks rice milk, oat milk. All the hands went up. Hands up if you've got an allergy. Most of the hands go up. Hands up if you've got an EpiPen. Four hands go up. And I'm thinking, geez, you know, I've been to the big soy fields in Brazil and where a lot of the soy milk comes from, you know, and I've, I've seen the mass production of that milk and I've seen the bad things in the dairy industry as well. 
you know, where we push cows too hard. We're trying to get milk as cheap as possible and you push the cows, push the cows. But it is crazy for me personally to think that somehow milk is bad and we demonize it. The dairy industry is really important. It's also the backbone of the beef industry because all these calves, you know, if they're not a pure dairy cow, they'll end up in the beef industry. You know, often the dairy farmer, it won't put a dairy bull onto his cows, they put a beef bull onto them because they go into being suckler herds. It's really important. And also, if we're into growing food sustainably, the future of agriculture, you've got to think of it like one large mixed farming system. You know, you can't just have veg on its own. What are you going to put on it? Just chemical fertilizers all the time. Or are you going to use muck from animals like this? You know, organic matter. Yeah, soil's formed in two ways, glaciation, breaking up rocks, or decaying organic matter. And cow muck, pig muck is essential for putting that back in. It's really interesting to listen to because you hear, I think you hear sometimes quite a skewed story of these things and it's often what's put in press. And the truth feels like often, like with a lot of things, it's kind of somewhere in the middle. It's kind of like, where's the responsibility is here? Well, if we do too much of this, it's probably a bad thing. Because I guess like the wildlife, the world, it's all about its equilibrium. If I'm honest, we're eating much. far too much of everything. We're yeah. eating far too much of everything. Uh, and and if you, you know, the whole adage of eating proper food, getting yourself a, a bag of... I mean, I, the other day, right, we haven't talked about the price of food. You can hear the pigs, guys, ASMR. Uh, the <laughs> price of food, a kilo of carrots I saw for uh, 80p. A kilo of spuds were about a pound ten the other day I saw in the supermarket. And it's like, you know, that's cheap as any. Can't buy Mars bar for that. You know, and, and rather than going having chicken and chips or having ready meals, all the rest of it, is buying these whole foods. So a pig like that or a free-range chicken, you, you, a free-range chicken you'd have once a week as a you know, luxury. Or when I was growing up, once a fortnight. It's so true that it feels like food is almost so, so ready that it's almost that is part, a part of the problem. with. Again, I, I'm very careful with these things. And I'm very much not suggesting when no people genuinely struggle to put food on the table at the moment. I'm not talking about those scenarios, but I think for a lot of people, it is, it is just so easy to go and buy some meat. If I wanted to eat some meat on the way home, I can stop at, um, I can literally stop at a service station and have a bacon sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Get yeah. my fuel, fuel the car, yeah. have a bacon sandwich. Just there, everything's or, there so easily. Or dried mango from yeah, Colombia. Yeah, sure. it's, uh, it's in the service station. Yeah, it's, it's, it's everywhere. But the idea of actually valuing it, we don't see it as a real food as, as, as something to value. And that's, that's the big problem. But the, the thing is, is that, you know, I, I often talk to uh, various journalists or whatever who talk about veganism and, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, eat what you want, yeah. right? But everything has a consequence. Everything is displaced or dies for your food, whatever it is. So if you are, I don't know, you're having a bag salad, you know, animals perish because of it. It's like the whole, it's like the, um, the avocado stuff where it's like displacing like was 100 million bees a year uh, yeah, from California yeah, to actually completely. grow the avocados. Well, even, it's like, well, have, a look at the, have a look at the dairy industry, you know, methane destroying the planet. Well, methane is a really volatile greenhouse gas, right? But it doesn't linger as long as something like carbon dioxide. And say agriculture is destroying the world when we look at transport and heavy industry. But equally, if you look at the dairy industry, it produces the same amount of methane as rice production. But we're not banning rice. So my choice is uh, I try and eat less rice and I'm fine with my dairy, locally produced dairy. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting paradox. And again, I mean, to anyone listening, like regardless of whatever your, your decision, whether you're vegan, whether you're pescatarian, whether you're, whether you're vegetarian or you eat meat, like I respect anyone's decision. I think everyone should make their decision. I think my, my thing, I think, is 
I just want young people to know the full fear facts. Have that, you know, that not just a quality of information, the equity of information. Yeah. Where there's a fear waiting to Completely. the stuff that people learn, not just like, okay, this is all bad. Because that's very really true, actually. Yeah, in ab most absolutely. And, and the, the further we get removed from our food production, the weirder these arguments get. And these, the, the, the noise out there on social media, particularly in the veganism sector, for me sometimes feels very unjust because agriculture has been around since we stopped being hunter-gatherers um, <laughs> and it sustained us. We learn in history, don't you, when you kind of you start with like quite creating a square field, Completely. you know, the square um, so crops be, and all that kind to of To be anti-farming is, is to say, well, we're going to all be hunter-gatherers. The great thing that you have is, A, for, first of all, you, in, uh, with a lot of the work that you do, you travel around the country, you're visiting farms, obviously the documentaries, everything you've done, you've had a great insight into the food industry. You're also a farm yourself, and, and you're a scientist, a background. You, you, you studied uh, animal biology and so on, so zoology. So looking into the future, what is the answer when it comes to food? Like, what is our answer? I know you kind of hinted at some of it there. Well, I think we're going to have to learn some, we're going to have to learn some big lessons. And I think we're going to have to see, eventually see the reality of the real cost of food. And we're going to have to be prepared to pay for it. So we're all worried about the, the cost of living crisis. And I think actually we're going to have to revert back to how our grandparents were. And it's make the most of what we got, eat less, yeah. waste less and appreciate more. And it's really difficult saying that without sounding like some TV tosspot that, yeah. is, you know, is all right Privileged for you because you've got free range yeah, pigs. Yeah, sure, yeah. But, you know, when, I, when I've been to countries in Asia or throughout Africa and I, I look at their farming systems and the value they place. you've really travelled and seen all, all over, All over in terms of South America and you see the value of these communities they place on their food. Uh, and it's so important and we've pulled ourselves away from that. And so it's, it's, I think the future is better appreciation, but also there's technology, which is very interesting. But for me, it's not always the answer. So you've got things like um, precision fermentation, where you'll be able to program bacteria to produce exact protein. So you can produce milk in a vat and stuff. And I think, well, that's all well and good, and it'll drop the price down even more, and we can all have more, but we're all having too much already. So what's it for? And all it'll end up being is producing milk powder for all the big... Uh, you know, um, milk powder companies and, and uh, mass-produced food. And I've seen all these lab-grown meats and blah-de-blah, been to California and seen all these factories and supplying fake chicken and fake burgers to some of the largest burger chains in the world and seeing queues of vegans queuing up around KFC to get the latest, you know, latest vegan fake chicken. And all they're doing is funding one of the largest chicken processors in the world. <laughs> so it seems a bit, a bit of hypocrisy. But I think all of this is born out of wanting to do what's right for the planet. And what is right for the planet is to consume less of everything and appreciate the natural world more. Absolutely. Well, and then on that note, as we come towards the end of this, I'm going to pull out my health fact of the week. So we, it's basically we're, we're both reacting to this health fact of the week because I don't see it until the moment so that we both can have a genuine reaction. Here's our health fact of the week. So the rising population is causing a concern for food production, as we've discussed. And it's been estimated that across the world we increase food production by 70% to cater the growing population. Uh, which is interesting because almost what we're saying there is, do you know, what we need to do is massively increase it. However, we know there's so much waste, and I think that's what you kind of alluded to already, is that isn't more the solution that not necessarily making more, but wasting less. Yeah. So in business terms, you know, uh, reducing waste is better than the sale often, hmm. you know. Uh, and so the idea with food in terms of 
growing more is always best, is making the most of what we've already got, waste less, mm. value more. Um, and, and actually think about what we are producing mm. and where is it going. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I just want to get your final thought um, as we close. The final question, would you eat an ugly carrot? I've eaten so many ugly carrots. So can you, <laughs> we, we can very much be agreed that maybe in supermarkets, the other part of it is stop worrying what they look like. I think this is, I feel like something's put in front of us. I don't know how many people, has everyone stopped and thought, you know what, I can't eat that carrot. It's just really not that pretty. Do you know the thing about an ugly carrot? What's the first thing you do when you get it home? Chop it up, hopefully. And Peel it, it and chop it up. And when you do that, you can get your best looking carrot, which is basically your Brad Pitt carrot. Yeah. And you can... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally. You can then chop it up and put it in the pan. And, and make just a lovely like, cowl, a Welsh cowl. Yeah, it look just like your ugly carrot. You'll really, really enjoy it. So anyway, a bit of fun to end with. Thank you so much for having us here. Um, it's just... It's been amazing. I've really enjoyed this. It's nice to get the team. We're out of London. We're in nature. And I'm smiling. I'm feeling good. I'm less stressed. I'm more in touch with nature. And Your team will look freezing cold. Looks like they need a hot chocolate. Do you need a hot chocolate, guys? <laughs> Luckily, we have a farm shop to go. There's a restaurant to cater for that, indeed. Thank you so much for your time. It's been I a really pleasure. appreciate it. It's been it. a thank pleasure. You. Good fun. Guys, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Stompcast. I really, really appreciate all of you. You know, I was stopped um, the other day by someone who just said, that the Stompcast gives them such a relief from everyday life and it encourages them to get out in nature and to move and to enjoy just being outdoors. And to me, that is, it just means the world. And I know for the whole team here, you know, we travel around the country, we spend a lot of time staying in different places, jumping on trains, driving places, and it's made all worthwhile. It's all made worthwhile hearing stories like that. I love making this podcast. So please do, if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel on Apple Podcasts. It's free to do so. You get a notification. It helps the channel grow. And share it on your stories. If you're listening to this now, I want to know where are you listening to the Stompcast from? Where in the world? What are you seeing? Show me nature. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much to all of you. Take care and goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.